Oh, hey, I'm glad you're here. One of the main questions I get regarding this podcast is what comes first, the guest or the film? Well, it depends. Sometimes I want to talk about a film, and I have to hunt for a person with that profession or experience. Uh, in the case of, uh, say, Season 1, Episode Deceiver, with a polygraph technician, I, I knew Aaron, and then I had to find a film to fit our conversation. In this instance, I was watching a film and thought of a person. Uh, you know, like in The Matrix, where you find out the universe is made of zeros and ones. That happens in that, right? Or when you're on mushrooms and you're like, hey, um, why do we call them feet and not bottom hands? Or you're tripping and your friend comes up to you and is like, Robert Guillaume played both Benson and Rafiki. And suddenly you're like, Moby was right, we're all made of stars. You know, that kind of thing. Anyway, this recently had, had happened to me when I was talking to my friend Kaya. I was telling her my recent discovery. See, you can Google 311 tattoos and find super cool people with 311 tattoos. You remember them, right? They're like a skinny dibby dibby meow meow. Remember that? I'm pretty sure those are the words. And that's also how we discovered that Nick Hexum is one of the cat people. And if you don't know who cat people are, check out the Willow Creek episode of this podcast. Anyway, you can Google 311 tattoos, but what you can't Google is Sugar Ray tattoos to find tattoos on anyone other than just Sugar Ray's tattoos. It's weird. Anyway, I told Kaya this, and she said that she saw Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray at a Cure concert, which I thought was weird, because 311 is who covered the Cure. Yeah, and in that moment, I thought, I think I've caught a touch of The Shining. Which brings us to this episode. That was a weird one. While we are having fun and talking about a fantastical world created by an extremely talented author, we're also going to be discussing something very serious. If this episode speaks to you, or you'd like to know more about the theme in this episode, or resources, please feel free to reach out. I don't know any of these answers, but I can ask, and I bet these wonderful people that I speak with, they would know. So feel free to let me know. I can't say that you have to, you know, that you should contact, I don't, don't, just contact me. Let's just leave them out of it. I didn't check in to see if they wanted to be a resource for anything, but I feel like they would be. But maybe check with me first. Or you know what? You do you. Just just know we, we hope everyone's out there taking care of themselves and staying healthy. Did we do it? All right. Here we go. The film is Dr. Sleep. The guests are alcoholics. And this is VH Us. Hello and welcome to VHS, the podcast where each episode's about a film and the guest has the profession portrayed in the film, usually. Uh, this episode's a little different. As always, I'm your host, Dirk Marshall, and I'm joined by John Staley, who is a podcaster, producer, and artist. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, people can find out more about you and your art at uh, Green Camel Press, is that correct? That is correct, yes. On the Instagrams. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as Jerry Wagner, who's a tattoo artist in Eugene, Oregon. Thank you for being here. Hello, hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, and people can find, uh, see your work and, and some wonderful videos as of late. Uh, Jerry Wagner Jr. on Instagram. Yeah. And you also have a cat that has like hella toes, is that correct? She's polydactyl, she's got, yeah, six toes. She's got a yeah. shitload of toes. <laughs> uh, now if you're listening and you're thinking there isn't a podcaster or a tattoo artist in the movie, you're right. But there's something far larger in the story or stories that we'll be talking about, and that is the subject of alcoholism. Uh, My guests Jerry and John also host a podcast together called A is for Alcoholic, and that's A is for Alcoholic on Instagram, one word. 
and AIFA Podcast on Twitter. Is that correct? That is correct. You got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, now, unlike a lot of episodes on VHS, this isn't the first time I've spoken to either of you, but it's been about 20 years, which is I, crazy. <laughs> I yeah, know. I was going to say, it's, it's been a long time, and you're introducing us, and I'm thinking to myself, man, we, we've known each other a long, long time. I mean, we've been out of oh, yeah. touch, but we're talking yeah. like 1996 or seven. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's it's crazy because I was at a, a Nitzareb show. I run into um, Marla, Clark, a couple other people I haven't seen in a large amount of time. Mm-hmm. And sh- Marla mentions mm-hmm. that you two have a podcast and that, John, you do a couple different podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I so I reached out to you and was like, holy smokes. Like, I mean, you know, lives go in different directions. And um, ours went uh, 20 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and you said, yeah, check out the food one since you work in food. And, and I was like, I'm going to check out this other one. And I instantly uh, became a fan. I think I messaged you at probably like one in the morning or something mm-hmm. uh, just to be like, I really love this podcast. And uh, the things that I appreciated about it is that you both are finding your own paths and ways through uh, sobriety. Correct me if I get any term- terminology wrong at any point, uh, sober living. But it's, uh, it's really your friendship, I think, that I, I find so endearing. And the fact that you've known each other through these different stages in life that I just can't wait to uh, to come back each episode. Well, thank you. I mean, I think that that's 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 um, that's very sweet of you to say. I know that Jerry and I have been through a hell of a lot together, both good and yeah and bad. And um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a fucking trip. I, I don't think that I could do this this every week with somebody I didn't know. Do you know what I mean, Jerry? Like you wouldn't want right, to like exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, I can. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. If I if I didn't have such a fondness for John, I would probably wouldn't do this at all. Yeah, I'd just be like, oh, I'm not gonna obligate myself to something once a week. Ugh. Why would I do that? God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I I think too. And Jerry and I have both said this on the podcast before that there's a lot of times where there's this sort of agonizing period of time before we record where we're like. Oh man, I don't want to do this right now, dude. This just doesn't my thing. Like I, right. I want to. It's my day off. I don't want to mess with this. I, ugh. And then we do it, and then we feel so much better afterwards. So it's it's definitely a personal catharsis every week, as much as it is you know sharing it with other people. Right. Well, and I think that's something that comes up a lot on A is for Alcoholic. Is this I don't want to do this, but I feel better if I do it. Hmm. You talk about it with the podcast. You talk about it with running. You know, it's like. We have all these pop-ups that stop us from doing things, and that's one of the things I like about your podcast is you're doing it, and the opportunity that you could be inspiring other people to be like, hey, I've always wondered about this, but maybe I'll look into it further. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to be clear about one thing. Like, I don't, I don't think that, and I maybe, Jerry, correct me if I'm wrong. Go ahead. I don't think originally we started this thing in any way to like inspire other people. I am flattered and I am honored and it like I really sure. feel like like somebody like you who's not an alcoholic and you find enjoyment enjoyment out of, you know, listening to it every week. That blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I, same I, it, here. Yeah. Fucking humbling. But it yeah. honestly was the whole thing was like I'm just trying to stay sober. I'm hanging on by a thread, so I'm going to talk to my friend. And so, yeah. and not that I, I'm, I'm very appreciative of everybody, but like, it was literally just so that Jerry and I had a reason to talk about and get shit off our chests, you know? Right. Yeah. That yeah. Was, right. So. 
It was well, yeah. It was just us. It was is literally our dynamic before we got sober was our common thread was that we drank. You know, I mean, we had mm-hmm. a bunch of other things that attracted to each other to each other's friends, but I think we still now we had that common thread of recovery and sobriety. You know, and it really was just two friends, two friends reaching out to each other just to check in and be like, "How you doing? You all right?" You know, he, yeah, exactly. And it just kind of turned into something else from there. Yeah. I just just uh, I just wanted to give some some props up top because I, I I do really appreciate it and getting to be a fly on a wall for like a friendship such as the two of yours it's a it's a real treat. Well, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the reason we're joined by John and Jerry today is because we're brought together by the film Doctor Sleep. Uh, we watched the director's cut, I think. Yes. Um, this is available for streaming and downloads, and I didn't write the synopsis, which I usually do, but anyone listening that doesn't know, it's a 35-year-later sequel to The Shining, I think. Basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm really interested in both of your opinions as we go along. Um, it's no secret Stephen King wrote The Shining when he was a pretty serious alcoholic or canoodling with booze. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the story is very much about the struggles, his struggles with alcohol and how it could destroy his family. Uh, Dr. Sleep was written when he was very much sober for a number of years, and it's uh, it's about dealing with those demons uh, of the past and sort of making amends in a way, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Putting the film in context, we got director Mike Flanagan. Uh, he did Gerald's Game, Haunting of Hill House, Hush, Oculus. I love Oculus. Uh, the cinematographers, Michael Fimonari. He did, uh, in 2005, 12 Dogs of Christmas. Everybody seen that one? No. Not yet. No. no. It's on the list. No. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, for December. uh, But he seriously has been working with Flanagan for pretty much everything Flanagan's ever done. And then he did a movie called The Cleanse in 2016, which if you haven't seen it, it's pretty amazing. It's about a guy that goes on a juice cleanse retreat where you drink this sludge and then you vomit up basically a goblin. Um, Whoa! Yeah, it's worth watching if you're into okay. the health stuff, like you guys talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, with your uh, not ice cream thing that you oh, do. Oh God, yes. <laughs> uh, the editor is Mike Flanagan. Again, he basically adapted the story, directed it, wrote it, uh, edited it. It's, he's a beast. Uh, the actor, Ewan McGregor. I know his giant penis is in the movie Pillow Book. It was, it was, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to forget if you saw yeah. Pillow Book. Uh, I don't know why they didn't just call it Ewan McGregor's penis. But, right. Um, he's done some other things. Anyway, uh, next actor is Rebecca Ferguson. She's in Mission Impossible 6 and 7, Dune, Life. Uh, and then the last actor is Cliff Curtis. He's in The Piano in 93, Deep Rising in 98 with Treat Williams, uh, Blow, Training Day, Collateral Damage, Sunshine, and the next three Avatar movies. Uh, he plays Billy in here. I think he's pretty awesome. The film starts with a sense of dread as we dip down through the trees and we hear the soft singing of Rose the Hat, by, played by Rebecca Ferguson. People start showing up in the woods and you get the feeling something very bad is going to happen right away. She'll get back to it. No, stay. Stay a while. See more magic. You are a special little thing, aren't you? Uh, The caravan of campers pulls away. We have an awesome transition to the Overlook. I, for one, was really excited to see the Overlook again. 
Uh, I don't know about your two's relationships with The Shining. Uh, is it something that you watched at all? I've seen it multiple times. Um, I I wouldn't say it's one like one of my absolute favorite movies, but I love Stephen King. I love Stanley Kubrick. I love Jack Nicholson. Um, so I, it's a fantastic film. I put it up there. Oh man, it's it's in my top five. The Shining is, and the book as awesome. well. So when we came in with with Kubrick's soundtrack, you know what I mean? Like those yes. ominous horns. I've, I've when I first watched the movie, I got goosebumps. I looked at my wife and I was like, "This is fucking it. We're gonna do this." Yep. And, yeah, yeah. I was, I was really excited. I didn't expect to have that response. Uh, so Jerry, have you read? A lot of King books? Um, yeah. it's You know, there's a lot of fandoms. I work in this tattoo shop and all these guys follow these fandoms. It's usually like Star Wars, comic books, and Marvel Universe. And my biggest fandom has been Stephen King. So I've, oh, I've been through the Dark Tower series like three times. And it's he's my mm-hmm. fa- he's one of my favorite writers, if not my favorite. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see Room 237. I... This, the, the iconography of this movie, I didn't realize I was so steeped in, and getting to see it again mm-hmm. in motion uh, with the attention to detail and knowing that it was all in service of Stephen King. Like, yeah. he was getting... You know, I was just so excited for him as a person, and, uh, yeah, in The Rotting Lady comes out of the bathtub. I was, I was all in for that. Um, then we see him in his real life. He's a little boy, and uh, luckily he's snapped out of seeing a woman in his bathroom by Alex Esso, who plays the mom. Hey, it's okay, Doc. Who I thought was incredible. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. She was great. Yeah, she really was, man. The, the first time she opened her mouth, I was like, how? What? <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was, it was so great that they didn't CGI it. They just yes. got actors mm-hmm. who were similar. I just thought that was such a great choice. You know, I was like, yeah. "That's quality. That's making a quality, a, a quality film to me." You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Danny's pretty much canatonic since his drunk dad tried to murder him. Uh, respectfully. Yeah. <laughs> pretty bad. You ain't talking, huh, Doc? Weren't talking much first time I met you, neither. We see uh, Danny on a bench by himself, and then we see Dick, played by Carl Lumley, mm-hmm. and holy smokes, I loved every movement this movie was making at that point. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of life advice in this scene, and Dick also shares his evil drunk dad story, so we kind of get this, like, I don't know about Stephen King, did he have a drunk dad as well? I don't know he, Stephen King's dad, well, Jerry? He, no, he had no dad. His dad cut out. His mom raised Oh. Him. Yeah. So Got it. My grandfather, he was a mean son of a bitch. Dark inside, same type of dark as your dad. Beat me senseless, and my grandma too, and when he died, I danced. But he kept on coming back. Standing in my room, suit all gray and stinking from whatever mold was growing on him in that box. So, Grandma, she taught me a trick. Gave me a present. He tells Danny to build boxes for the ghosts, and uh, then we see Danny and Mom watching Bugs Bunny. We get the What's Up Doc line, which I was like, is every detail going to be perfect? I don't understand. Exactly, yeah, yeah. 
we hear the screams. He goes in. He locks the woman in the box. You know, everything's fine. He's probably going to be totally okay with these mm-hmm. life experiences he's had. <laughs> uh, cut to grown-up Danny waking up. Sort of remembering drinking. He's got a shiner. It's like cutting back and forth through these drunk moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a naked lady that's thrown up in bed next to him. Mm-hmm. It's it's a pretty rough situation that we're now in. Mm-hmm. Um, this, and it's, yeah. This scene was beautiful, I thought. And I I would suggest to anybody who loved the movie to read the book because I feel like this was the the part of the book where I I wanted to put it down because it was so real and disturbing and disgusting, but it was so mm-hmm. engrossing and so so true to anybody who's ever like when you imagine your worst hangover and then this was a hundred times worse, like it was it was very tangible and real horror for anybody who's ever woken up with like the worst fucking hangover the emotional mental spiritual hangover that comes with all of the evil shit that happens when you've had far too much to drink so it's a it's a great scene but go ahead i found it to be a really accurate no that's perfect jerry yeah well no i found it to be a really accurate depiction of a blackout actually the common um misconception about blackouts for people is that you know who don't necessarily black out is that you you go unconscious or you pass out but it's actually the opposite and we had talked about this on our podcast where at least in my experience with blackouts is i was up and active and doing things the whole time right. i just had no recollection of what it was and it always came in spurts it always and it's kind of that same it was a great way to build this kind of his bottom was that everything came in these short brief glimpses of like oh 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 you know and so yeah it was, it was really accurate to me. I, yeah. And also in the mm-hmm. book. Yeah. As well. Yeah. And since you mentioned um, bottom, sometimes I like to cover some of the terminology people <clears throat> might be hearing. And for mm-hmm. anyone that doesn't know, um, what is it, is it, is what you see, I'm trying to word this right, uh, like at meetings and things, is it right. necessary that people that are there have had a, a hit a major bottom or are there people that go, whose bottom was like just realizing they couldn't have like a Chardonnay or something. Um, Cause what you see in movies is always the most extremes. Right. It's just curious. Right. Right. You know, I think Go that ahead. that's the case for the movies are extreme and they're supposed to be shock. You know, you've got a video back there called shock value right behind you on the, on the, on the <laughs> shelf. You know what I mean? Uh, it's a, and so it's that's a really good book. Oh, it's a book. Okay. So yeah. like, so the idea is like, Oh, it's the rock bottom and he's, he's been in prison and jail and yeah. killed somebody and all this stuff. And it's, it's all relative, man. Like I right. used to think like, Oh, my bottom wasn't bottom enough. So like, right. I'm not, I'm not able yeah. to be helped. I'm not able to be saved. I'm not able to, to have a better life. But then you listen to other people whose bottoms are lower. And then there's other people who, like you said, go like, man, I just realized I couldn't have any more Chardonnay and I needed help. Like, right. so yeah. right. I think it's all relative. And there's this moment of like, this shit has got to stop. And if you're, if you're at a point where, you know, you, you can, you can say that to yourself before there's any real damage to your life or others, then that's a fine bottom to have, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. And there's terminology within the program too, that seems pretty common where you talk about low bottoms and mid bottoms and high bottoms where your low bottom would probably be what is depicted here you know or or like the idea of whenever i hear people are like say well my i i don't know if i'm an alcoholic because i'm not homeless you know and that idea of homelessness this 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 total demoralization is this low bottom where your mid bottom would be more where i was at where i was just 
it was just done. You know, I was affecting my life negatively, but before the slope went too steep for me, I kind of pulled out. It's like a, yeah. what have you ever heard that term, uh, John, step zero? The zero yes. step? And that's yes. where you have the realization that I just can't do this shit anymore, and that's the very first step you kind of take. And I, it's not in, within literature or anything like that. It's just kind of this this common phrase we kind of use with each other. And because a lot of these meetings take place in church basements, <clears throat> is the program... And if you can't talk about program stuff, I totally get it. But is the program religious? I would say that the reason they're mostly in church basements and have been is because church basements are fucking free. That's probably why or cheap. Right. So the bulk of it is the answer to your question is no. Um, I mean, it can be for some people, I guess. But if you have religion and it helps you, then you should use that. Right. It is not a mandate of the program. Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, there's this there's a spiritual philosophy to it, but it mm-hmm. doesn't subscribe to any religion necessarily. And the spiritual philosophy isn't um, really mandatory. You know, mm. it's helpful, I guess, but it's you know, yeah, it's not mandatory. It. <laughs> Poor Danny at this point, he mm-hmm. probably could use some religion because he spies an empty whiskey bottle and he tries to drink out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sees that she's doing blow. We realize that. Um, he's broke. She's on food stamps, and he goes to take cash out of her wallet. There's a baby. Uh, it soiled itself. He gives it Cheez-Its, um, which is, I don't think, very nutritious, but uh, <laughs> puts it next to the vomit mom. It's a real bummer all around. Uh, <laughs> in just the beginning of this film, we've had some people eat a child, and now there's a dead woman, I mean, a thrown, thrown up, passed out lady and a baby that's, mm-hmm. you know, not getting proper nutrition. Uh Basically, between train spotting and this, don't be a baby in a new McGregor movie. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, <laughs> Abracadabra. We then get to meet Abra in an African-American family. Uh, she can shine. We get this kind of world building that I absolutely loved. Um, they have one of those pianos that plays by itself. Oh, wait, no. She's doing it with her shining, actually. But right. for a second, I was like, oh, cool. They have one of those where you put the nickel in and it just plays a song. Right. Uh there's a gross guy in a theater with, with Andy, or Snakebite Andy, played by Emily Allen Lind. Aren't you tired? Sleep. Andy puts him to sleep with the shine, and then we watch as Rose and Crow Daddy are sort of uh, checking her out to see what she does. Uh, they confront her, and they uh, catch her. Uh, Danny is back, and surely everything's coming up Danny by this point. But now he lifts a liquor bottle to his mouth. He's passed out underneath an overpass, I think, by train tracks. Yep. Um, now, I'm not going to ask for war stories. I mean, feel <clears throat> free to share anything at any point. I think you do a great job on the podcast of, of reflecting in a healthy way <laughs> on previous adventures. Um, but from an outsider, I, could, I can't imagine waking up and drinking hard alcohol. Would you ever at a point where that was a regular thing? Yes. Wow. See, I have a friend <laughs> yeah. who said that to me, and I was just like, it like breaks your brain um, sometimes, and I think it's healthy for for that to see from other people's perspectives, but I just, I I couldn't fathom it. So is the idea that it's you can catch up the, you can null the sickness, or how, how is that? Jerry, how do you, how, yeah, why don't you take you that? Know, it was to it was to kill the hangover, and it was a fast way to kill the hangover. Oh. So, like, I would wake Very up hungover, way. 
And so we would have this saying all the time where, you know, within our group of, of drinkers, you know, we'd have a buddy who would always be like, come on, Johnny, you got to get back on that pony again. You got to get back up, right. dust yourself off and get back on that horse, you know, because you felt like you got kicked off a horse, you know. And so for me personally, I'd start off with beer. I would drink beers in the morning sometimes and then put like Clamato in it or, or, or uh, tomato juice, you know, like a red <laughs> it's a breakfast beer. beer. Right, exactly, a hangover beer. But the beer wasn't working, wasn't fixing the hangover fast enough. So we would, I would just do, I wouldn't even do shots. I would just make a whiskey coke or just drink the whiskey with water. Or it, and so I, it wasn't like to continue the buzz necessarily. If the buzz continued, then that was a bonus. That was like the added yeah. bonus of not feeling like shit. But mostly for me, it was just maintaining not feeling like shit. You know? Okay. Yeah. Just like a baseline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice bait. That's a great way to put it. Like a nice baseline. Like, yeah, we're smooth sailing here. Let's just to quote yeah. unquote feel normal again. You know, to feel the right. Ease. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have I have one recollection. I remember it was at somebody's birthday party, and there was um, there was also there was a lot a lot of drinking, and this was during the Rumplemints days, which is a high proof uh, peppermint <laughs> schnapps. Dude, yeah, man. <laughs> and um, oh. I remember there was also a lot of cocaine that night, and um. Not so much about what uh, this is probably 10 years ago because this was somebody's 30th birthday and they're 40 now. So this is 10 years ago. And I remember waking up the next day and literally feeling like, you know, they talk about the inside of your head feeling like a a dry husk. Like that's what it felt like. It felt like the ripping of a dry husk. And it was so bad. I still remember it. So this is like 10 years later. I remember the hangover. And I, I don't remember the, the night as much, but I remember the hangover. I remember getting up, meeting people or whoever was on the couch, going to the bar at like whatever time in the morning it was. I mean, we're talking like 9 or 10. Or maybe. Okay. No, I, what, I don't. I could have been. It could have been 2 in the afternoon. I have no idea. Um, but we went there and we're drinking Rumplemints and Heineken. And I can barely like. Like, my hand's shaking so bad to try, like, oh. seriously, like, trying to get the shot glass in. And then once it's like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, now I'm now I'm comfortable again. So, 100%, that's, that's, that's what it's, that's what it's like. Dude, it was, it was, it was, uh, it, it was mid-afternoon, because I was with okay. you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was, I was with you that night, and I was with you the next day. Right, I was, so he yes, remembers that, that was, night, exactly. Yeah, because John, yeah, I mean, not, I, yeah, John started singing at one point that night. And it became like oh, this. Yeah. yeah, he started singing this refrain because we were all so fucked up, and it just became this inside joke in our group for a while. Because John just kept singing these are these and those are those, and somebody was playing oh, acoustic that's the, guitar. These are these. Yeah. Oh, so you know that one, Dirk? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But we might as well just talk about this right now. Um, do you ever just call Jerry and just do the rhyme thing just for old time's sake? No. <laughs> just start. No, I don't. Not no. anymore. <laughs> I just hang just up. Call on up him. and start rhyming. Yeah. <laughs> No, I would just hang up. I'd be like, "Oh shit, John's drinking again." Right? Oh yeah, exactly. I guess it wouldn't be funny now. But no, it would be kind of funny, but I'd also be like, "Oh great." Yeah, I mean, I would. I wouldn't want you to be sad, but it was just one of those things that <laughs> I completely had forgotten about, and then you mentioned it on the podcast, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" So mm-hmm. many nights I was talking to John, and he st- just started rhyming like words. Did it to yeah, dirt right? too, huh? Oh my yeah. god, dude, just reaching out, man. That's... That was what it was. <laughs> <clears throat> you know but yeah it's um that's exactly it's it's a yeah i mean it's just the hangovers are are frightening and i don't yeah. miss them in the slightest there's not there's not a moment where i i wake up and i'm like even on the shittiest days i have now and think oh well gee maybe if i would have drank last night things would have been better 
<laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So, uh, at this point of the film, it's clearly Danny's low. He buys a ticket to anywhere, which I guess uh, is a is a pretty common thing in some, some groups of people where you just buy a ticket and you just leave everything behind. Mm-hmm. Um, Abra has a as a birthday party, she has a terrible magician, and he puts a spoon mm-hmm. on his nose. So she makes all the spoons go to the ceiling in the kitchen, uh, and her parents don't think that's cool. And I think that's probably because there's going to be all those tiny spoon marks up on the ceiling, and then mm-hmm. they got to hire someone to do something with magic erasers, so then she'll make all those levitate up to the <laughs> ceiling. It's just a whole situation. Anyway, Rose wakes up Andy and invites her to join the True Knot. Uh, we see this traveling caravan of soul suckers. What was that like in the book, uh, Jerry? They were old in the book. They were much older. Ah. And so Stephen King, when he was writing it, he took a couple ideas and mashed them together. But I think his idea was he had, I'd read somewhere in an interview that the idea was they were doing a cross country trip like he and his wife and they had seen old people driving around in RVs and he's like, what better front to be able to do horrible things than to be a retired person in an RV? No one ever suspects him of doing anything. So I think that was kind of the genesis of that whole thing was like Uh, old folks in RVs. Yeah. Uh, then Danny gets a lift off, or he gets off the bus, and we see a miniature of the town in downtown, which ironically I thought would play a bigger part in the movie. Is mm-hmm. it in the book at all? This yeah, miniature? it plays a big part of the book, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess you gotta pick and choose. Uh, he meets Billy Freeman, and uh, this is a great character, I think. He just reads uh, Dan really well, uh, gives him a place, says he recognizes the look. Um, Jerry, <laughs> you got sober first. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Coming out of or starting sober living, I don't know exactly a way to, to address the transition, That's... but <laughs> you can call it recovery or sobriety, whatever. It, yeah, I'm not too sensitive about the way it's referred to as. But go ahead. Sure. Um, but then, can you see? Did you see that in other people? Like, were you? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like you... yeah, John and I. I've, I've, I was. I have this phrase. I have said it to John a few times. Where I'm like, game, game, recognize game, right? So, oh, yeah, like yeah. I would see even drinking. I could tell you who the drunks were in the room because I'd always gravitate to the other drunks. You know, I was just new. Oh. I knew who was going to get drunk with me and who wasn't. So when I got sober and when I started, you know, recovery, I knew who was even when they weren't drunk at this point. I felt like. Wolverine, like I could smell him out. Yes, really yeah, weird. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Johnny? It's oh, fascinating. I think I think there's definitely a look of um, there's a look of desperation, whether they're drinking or they're sober or you know in transition or somewhere. Um, I see it in people, and I can just I don't know. I mean, and maybe some of that. I don't want to say like I have some sort of superpower. It may be a lot of projection and and perhaps things that I <laughs> yeah. think about for myself. <laughs> my own desperation in life but um you know it's definitely something i can sense from people uh and certainly that that feeling of like who drinks for a living versus who is out to have a couple of cocktails like i see on dirk's instagram post you'll be out and like they'll be at a bar and having cocktails and dinner and you're posting stuff and they look beautiful and it's great now i don't think there's absolutely anything wrong with that like at all yeah but i would you know Certainly, if there if I had Instagram while I was deep in the throes of drinking, oh it would have been it would have been horrifying. I I'm so yeah. grateful that I don't. But um, yeah, it's definitely something you can sense that from other people for sure. I mean, that's yeah. it's a different kind of shine for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that's great. Uh, it's one of those things that, like, as a parent, I think I thought about a lot because I don't like um, I don't know. I'm not having beers all the time or or whatever, and I don't want to be. 
sort of have that sense memory with my daughter. Like, I don't want her to be out when she's older and someone burp camel menthols and Rainier mm. and think my ghost is there. You right. Know, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, That's good. That's good parenting. Yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. But like, if we go out to like our friend's restaurant, hopefully they'll still have it later. But, um, and they make her like a fancy juice with like edible flowers and they give us a cocktail or something. You know, I think that there's a, there's a healthy way for, for a kid to be educated about these things. Just oh, for yeah. me personally, mm-hmm. that's the story I like to, to mm-hmm. put out there. Cause I don't, I definitely don't want to be the person that's like, don't ever do this ever, ever. Cause then I'm just telling her like, Hey, when I'm not around, why don't you go try some of this stuff? Mm-hmm. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, um, my next question was, John, uh, how many years behind Jerry and his uh, sobriety were you? Almost exactly one, surprisingly. So it's, it's wow. <laughs> so he got sober. His first sober day was uh, July fourth, and mine right. is I'm July sixth. So two days apart, one or one year and two days apart. So were those last two days just like a real bender? They, or why, they were. Why could they were? Oh, absolutely. they were. Absolutely, okay. they were. Fourth of July it was definitely. It was. Um, um, I was again. I had vodka under the bed, which was the mo at that point near the end. And um, yeah, wow. I drank That's a bunch. Um, blacked out. Made some phone calls to people. Said some things I don't remember. And um, most of it rhymed, I think. Probably there were probably probably rhymes. Oh, absolutely. He probably called me at some point. And I did. I used to call Jerry when I was drunk, and I'd be like, "Man, just tell me, am I an alcoholic?" And Jerry'd be like, "Dude, you know what you are. You don't need me to tell you." Like <laughs> he'd yell, "Figure dude, it out." Oh my god, he'd yell at me. He'd be like, "Don't do that AA Jedi mind trick shit on me." And I'm like, yeah. "I'm just listening to you rhyme and ask me if you're an alcoholic, Chuck. <laughs> You'll figure it out, or you won't, man." <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah. So one year. So basically, he's got a year on. Okay. Him. Not that I right. don't. I don't think that either of us would say that that's that that the amount of time is important. It's more. Nah. No. I only ask because of your relationship as as friends you kept that relationship going through that year where you were kind of coming into two different stages so it's just in, i just think it's interesting that you know that jerry maintained the friendship and didn't have to just like lop it off or something you know i think it helped that we were not living in the same city probably mm. mm-hmm. that actually probably yeah. helped keep us maintain the friendship a little bit better than if i were like trying to get him to drink or if he was feeling vulnerable to you know yeah. what I mean? Like if we were, if I was totally. living down the street or something, I'd be like, "Come on, dude, fuck that, forget yeah. about that." You know, I and I could totally I, see I, myself. I would have drank. I totally would have. Yeah, <laughs> I honestly, if we were living in the same, I probably would have drank. Yeah, but it was great that I mean, our friendship too was kind of at that point though it wasn't very active. Like we would talk maybe once a month. I mean, even before I got sober, when we were still both drinking. I had come up to Oregon and I would maybe call John like once every four weeks or something, five weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and then I sobered up and then he started, he would call me, yeah, every, every two, three weeks. And then I, sometimes I'd answer, sometimes I wouldn't. Cause I'd be like, oh man, it's midnight. John's on one. I don't, I'll, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll just text him later. I'll send him a <laughs> meme or something. Yeah. 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 We, <laughs> we definitely still have, you know, people that we know who maybe still party mm-hmm. like it's. Mm-hmm. 1999 and uh you just know like at 2 a.m like sometimes we're that's when we do all of our emails and stuff is when our daughter's asleep and yeah uh you know we'll be doing that and texting people uh you know chef people and stuff that have those kind of schedules but you know when certain people send you a message and you're like well they will remember this so i'm not gonna answer right yeah, yeah. it's true it's mm-hmm. very true 
Uh, oh, this was my note about the rhyming. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love this. A fucking note about it. Such a thing. Oh, that's it oh, was great. such a it. And t- when it was mentioned on your podcast, I was like, oh, that that is a lot of my time was spent there because uh, <sighs> you you lived above uh, people that I knew quite well, yes. and we spent some time together. So. Yes, we did. Yes, we uh, did. And I remember a fraction of it. So then we see uh, the true knot turn Andy into one of them. Who, who are these people? You'll find out after. That over there is Grandpa Flick. And he'll lead us. Lie down. There. No fear. Uh, Danny can't sleep and wakes up next to a dead girl. And she says, They haven't found us yet. Which means the baby died. So this movie... (laughs) I haven't watched a movie that hated children more than Beastmaster. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny you bring it up, not to interrupt, but I, when we talked yeah. about this on our podcast, I was thinking, do you think that moment is him having regret and it didn't happen? Or do you think he saw her ghost and her ghost was mm. like, yo, we died? You know what I mean? Because there were all these moments where you, I would think about what could have happened and imagine the scenario and then cringed at it, you know? So I was wondering what it was. It's it's great to hear your perspective on it, though, because I was of the camp that she had died in, in the house and the baby had died as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's what I thought, but I didn't mm-hmm. read the book. Does it um, paint a concrete one way well, or the other? Well, in the book, instead of Cheez-Its, the baby's playing with a bag of cocaine and he takes oh. the cocaine away from the baby and then steals from her and then bounces and it keeps coming back in his head the scenario but she doesn't necessarily as far as i can recall i don't know if she comes back as a ghost or not i think he just keeps thinking about them dead in the apartment like that's probably how he left them yeah i like that they changed it to cheese it's because i think you and mcgregor's (laughs) character would have just done the cocaine exactly right Right. yeah yeah i wouldn't have left the the coke no No, but it's food so he's just like well what am i gonna do with that yeah i don't need cheese it's yeah yeah Why are you doing this? You don't know me. No, I don't. But I know the look, like I said. So then the next thing that happens is uh, Danny goes to Billy, and Billy sees him. This was a a very important scene. Uh, Billy says, you're sick and tired. I can see that much. But (laughs) are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? (laughs) Uh, So for each of you, like, when did you realize that you were sick and tired of being sick and tired? You want me to go? Um, well, I think it was on July 5th, I guess that I, I, it's still kind of fuzzy. And I think it, that was the last beer that I had was I was sitting on my couch. I just, I'd gotten done with work. It was late in the evening and I was drinking a Pacifico of which the bottle of Tito's and the six pack of Pacifico that I purchased on the third or the fourth was the last booze that I bought for myself. Um, and I was sitting on the, on the couch and I kind of had this I guess what a lot of alcoholics call the moment of clarity. And I saw everything that I had. I had recently got a new job. I had moved into a new place. I had eh, relatively purchased or had been, you know, had a new vehicle or newer vehicle. Um, And I saw all of these things going away. I had destroyed a relationship that I was in, somebody that I cared about. And so I saw those other things like all disappearing. And I don't know how else to explain it, except I just saw them around me like, oh, it's mm-hmm. going to go away. It's going to go away. It's going to go away. And I just felt this dread and this terror. And um, 
I was drinking that. I, f- I think I finished that beer and I was like, I really just need to stop for a little while. Like something's got to stop. And I was like, I'll just stop for like a week and I'll get it all sorted out and then I'll be fine. And that was like four and a half years ago. So right. that was my that was my I, moment of like, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired was just mm-hmm. sitting home alone in the dark with a Pacifico. It wasn't <laughs> exciting or anything like that. It wasn't dramatic. Right. It was just sad. Right. Yeah, same. I think mine was July 2nd. Was that July 2nd of 2014. We had gone out to a party of the coworker. He was turning, he was a young guy. He was in his 20s. He was turning like 22 or 23 or something. And I just I just went on a hard one. I just went on a really hard one and got into this screaming huge screaming argument with my wife who had just moved up to Oregon, was moving up to Oregon from Arizona to move in with us and start, you know, our life here in Oregon. And just, we just, it just, I just had wore her down for so long, like just pushing all this negativity out, just screaming at her. And so, yeah, she was just like, I'm taking our kid and I'm going, that's it. We're done. Like I'm divorcing your ass. And like, I just had this similar thing as to John. I just saw it all gone just out in the wind. And I'm like, where do I go from here? Just walk to wander the world drunk and alone like this just this shit i'm done with it yeah so it was july 2nd and then july 3rd i drank but that was like we talked about before maintenance drink it was just to like ride that hangover out yeah so it wasn't even like july 3rd was this party day it was just i it wasn't it was like shitty white wine in a plastic tumbler just to like not feel like i was gonna (laughs) die and then fourth of july was that first day we actually went to a barbecue that day and they had whiskey and everything and they were offering me drinks and I was just like, I'm done for a little while. I don't know how long, but I'm done. I'm, I'm sick and tired of being sick yeah. and tired, as they say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's a very accurate scene and it really is. It's, I thought it was really beautiful and touching and like yeah. super emotional in, the, in that brief period of like really that idea of helping each other out and one yes. alcoholic mm-hmm. helping another alcoholic out. I that. I, yeah. I, yeah, and I enjoyed it from the aspect of like, you know, within the program, him being, you know, 12 stepped, you know, him just someone in the program. And it wasn't, it was program driven because they end up in the program, but just the idea of, yeah, someone who's like, I've been there. I know what worked for me and it'll probably work for you. So let's try this out. You know, like I've got, I want to take care of you or help you out, you know? Yeah. It's a good moment. Yeah. And then we move into uh, the AA group. So we hear the oath. Is the oath, that's something that happens all the time. It's in every movie that involves AA. Um, the oath, the, uh, is it the serenity prayer? Is that what you're talking about? I think, well, I think it's, so. I it's very, it's, it's very, very common. I mean, I don't think that it's the a thing. Okay. Yeah. You see it. I, I, I think it's not just AA. I mean, the serenity prayer is a, is a thing unto itself, yeah. right, Jerry? Unto itself. Yeah. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember. My dad had talked to me about it. It was, I think a German some German priest or, or a monk or something had written it or something, but it, it, they don't just use it. They use it in a lot of things. They not just for AA. They use it well in most of the anonymous, like NA or gambling anonymous or cocaine anonymous. They I think they all open up. It's pretty common to open up with this. Yeah, but there. it's definitely yeah. it's very common mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. sure. Okay. Uh, then Danny chooses to talk. That's is that mandatory at these things that you have to say something or. No, no, not a no. thing. Usually okay. not. No, yeah. Uh, I already asked about if there was a... Uh, oh, we already covered a lot of these naturally. This is nice. Oh, I have a friend who, uh, you know, is... She's... I don't... They're go, not going through 
recovery, but definitely a couple years in the sobriety. Um, and they said something that was interesting where they said they just wanted to know what their normal baseline was, um, you know, without like caffeine, sugar, nicotine, alcohol, pills. And that just the way they worded that made me think about like how we're all like going up on something or coming right. down on something mm-hmm. all the time that it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I never even thought about what my baseline would be. I don't even know when I had that, like 14. I don't know what it was the baseline. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're always, uh, you know, I have a cup of coffee in front of me. So, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, me too. it's, it's something, and I, I don't, I don't judge anybody for, I mean, if you, if you need a cup of coffee or if you need whatever, like that's fine. I mean, I think that, um, the, the biggest thing for me was that, you know, alcohol was so destructive in my life and been mm-hmm. caught, but you know, a cup of coffee doesn't, doesn't, doesn't ruin my relationship. So, I mean, finding right. that baseline and whatever that is, I think it's really important to, okay. And a lot of it too is about, um, uh, I did, this is going to sound corny, but like self-discovery, right. Or self assessment, self, whatever, like, getting to understand how you work and what you're capable of doing and just being able to like the first time I remember, you know, maybe a month or so into sobriety, waking up and not feeling hungover. And I would like call Jerry and I'm like, dude, it's like, I got a fucking superpower. I feel so good in the morning. I was so used to feeling like death every single day, this huge deficit of having to dig my way out of, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't. Yeah. So it's uh, finding a baseline is. I think, I think it's helpful to know yourself a little bit better. That's an interesting concept. I mean, even it being a concept, but to, that's so funny, right? Like living the way you're supposed to living the way you're supposed <laughs> to function is such an interesting concept. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I drink. I just coffee and uh, yeah, I still use nicotine and yeah, I just I couldn't imagine it without it. Is that weird? That's kind of yeah. weird, right? That I'm just like nah. I don't. I don't know. Man. I don't think I. I think like you said, it's different for everybody. Right. I. I. Uh, I smoked. I started smoking because my when I met my wife, I was like twenty five at the time, and she smoked, and so mm-hmm. I noticed the significant amount of time she's spending outside on the porch, and so I was like, that's some time I could be spending with that lady over there. Right. And so I. I put in the hours to try to figure out how to smoke because I didn't know how, and she called me out for looking like an idiot a number of times. Uh, eventually, I mastered it and did that until we were going to have uh, our daughter. And then I was like, I want to stop, but I, I wanted a story. And we had planned a trip to, to visit some friends in the south of France, which sounds very fancy, but mm-hmm. it was just a trip. And uh, we went there, and that's three months after we found out she was going to have a kid. So she couldn't have any of the wine or cheese or any of that. She couldn't smoke. And I was sitting there, and the guy was like, hey, do you want to cigarette and he was rolling them and i'd never rolled one and i was like i'm gonna roll my last cigarette in the south of france Bam. And so yeah sitting yeah. by a fireplace in this like castle-y type building i did that it was disgusting and then i was <laughs> that was the end of that but uh and i haven't smoked since but i was so into it uh before sure and then once then being out of it it's like you are just you just had your nicotine episode which was fantastic and uh and john talking about crossing the street and whatnot uh, it's weird when you're out of those habits, you see people doing them. I imagine maybe drinking is the same way. You see people just going to town and you're like, what's the end game? Like, what are you going for here? Right. I mean, yeah, I understand it, but I understand it from also from that perspective with empathy, but also that I don't need to be around it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, you talk about the cigarettes and smoking and and it's funny because addiction has a great way of attaching your habits to your identity. And that's what mm. makes it so hard to break the fucking habit is because mm-hmm. you're addicted to this and it's your identity. I'm a drunk. I, I have I remember like screaming fucking I think I had my pants down around my ankles going <laughs> I like I'm an alcoholic and this is just who I am, you know, oh, like out no. in the in the front yard, like like that was something to be proud of. You know, yeah. like I have and so that's that's it's it's identity. That's what we attach it to. That's why it's so hard. Now do you, time. since you're into running, do you just run around the yard with your pants down? Just like, I'm a runner and no. this is what I do. <laughs> You're just really short shorts is what it is. It's, these aren't my underwear. They're just yes, super they are short, really short running shorts. They're but, uh, special running shorts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, man, I mean, I'll, it's, it's, it's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, it's all about identity. You were washing your hands in the hospital bathroom and you, you left it on the soap dispenser. We'll just check on the soap dispenser. Next, uh, Danny rubs the leader's wrist, figures out something about his watch that he left it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so the guy's like, there's something to Danny. And he calls him in. And uh, he asks him if he believes in God or the church, uh, to which he's, Danny says, our, our beliefs don't make us better people. Our actions make us better people. Mm-hmm. Which, in, in, this, in a horror movie, like I was just like nodding, like, yup, uh-huh. <laughs> like, it was so weird how many points of this movie I was just like, that is so important. That is so good. And mm-hmm. rather than just like, ooh, ghosts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Danny says a line that uh, 16-year-old Dirk absolutely loves, which is, uh, we're all dying. The world is one big hospice with fresh air. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a great yeah. line. I was Very- like, Man, I just want to put on ministry of mind is a terrible thing to waste. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway. And then real quick, Dirk, I just want to yeah. say you, you said something. You mentioned you called um, the doctor, you called him the leader. And right. uh, I uh-huh. think that might be just a little inaccurate. Uh, cause oh, I, yeah. Uh, in, in, the, in the program, I don't think that there's any there, – nobody would call anybody a leader. No, um, yeah. that, that would not be – it would not be spoken about that way. I mean if anybody is – chairing a meeting or helping to organize it or be at the oh, forefront geez. of something it's simply to serve as you're not in charge you're not leading anything you're just there to help desperately to try and organize a bunch of disorganized people i don't think anybody would be offended though if you called them the leader they just kind of laugh no. at you and be like no i just i'm the one who's got stuck chairing tonight do you know what i right. mean like <laughs> yeah so yeah. i guess it's not leader in the traditional sense more in the sense that it's kind of yeah like john said hurting hurting a big group of people to kind of go through this, you know, this kind of schedule for the night. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it just sounded, seemed like that for me because he's the town doctor. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're correct. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but yeah, that's a great thing. That's good to know. And it's called chairing. Chairing. Yeah. Secretary chair, chair, mm-hmm. a meeting, secretary, a meeting. I mean, which you know. actually is funny, John, because when they chair, the chair also has a person who speaks and kind of gives you the subject for the meeting and they're called, they lead the meeting. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Boom. I guess, so maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm happy well, to be no, wrong, no, but it's not. <laughs> I just don't want to, I don't want any of these verbiage to be misconstrued one way or the other, but he is right. definitely a leader in the community. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next, we get to a sequence of the movie that made me ball all three times I watched it. Mm. Uh, that there's a cat scratching at the door. It goes and sits on an old man's bed. Doc, are you a doctor? No, I'm not a doctor. Did, did you want me to get you a doctor? The cat's on my bed. Oh, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll move her. No, I knew she would be. 
That cat always seems to know when it's time. Ah, the cat knows it's time to go to sleep, and I was just weeping the whole time. This man's, <laughs> like, pr his presentation of what it's like to be at the end of life is uh -huh. as terrifying and as humane as I think a movie could get. Right. Uh, he calls him Dr. Sleep in this scene, and then we see him die. Uh, it's pretty sad. Danny goes home, uh, and on the wall it says, hello. Uh, so he writes hi, and we see Abra giggle. So the shining... Shiners? You didn't want to call them shiners, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, that's true. Then we flash ahead to the overlook. The glass is on the counter, but it's empty. And I was like, oh, that's pretty mm -hmm. awesome. Because next we see Danny gets his eight-year... Is it a chip or a coin? What am I saying? Chip. 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 Or coin. He gets his... Oh, God. Either uh, or. <laughs> all right. Well, he gets his eight-year chip, and he talks about his dad and how his dad had the chips, but it never took. He died when I was five, so the only way I, I got to know him, uh, really got to know him, was when I went dark, when I, when I drank, to, to dull the aura. Whenever I wanted to break someone's face, because the drinking and the temper and the anger, those things in me were his, and they were all I could know of him. This was also really sad part for me to mm -hmm. see him sort of wrestling with his father's inability to be sober or addiction to alcohol and that he has succeeded where his father couldn't it was pretty amazing um yes i would say that jerry and i are um on opposite sides of the chip <laughs> as it were with this and our fathers my father is past my father never got sober uh he was extremely sick um mm. but there's a lot it's 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 been a huge part of me like just feeling better is learning to better understand him and better to forgive him uh, easier to forgive him which took a very long time not only not until over the last year did i really come to terms with the beginning of being able to forgive my father who's been gone for like nine years now mm -hmm. um so i mean it's a pretty powerful moment to like like feel that and like okay this yeah. is what i'm doing this is my connection and you look at somebody like jerry's dad and i mean who what 20 30 30 my dad's been in recovery and sober since i was like 13 so i'm 44 Whoa. now so we're like 30 some years and my mom's been in recovery since i was 17 i grew up with drunk parents so when i was going through puberty my dad was hitting his rock bottom you know, it was wow. just, yeah. And so I watched the process with them go into the rooms, into the rooms of AA and, and get sober through that process, you know. So that scene in the movie was, it touched me in a way um, that was different because mm -hmm. there, wasn't, there wasn't anything unresolved necessarily. I mean, I imagine there are some issues between my parents and I that are unresolved, but the big ones seem to kind of work themselves out just between us, you know. It was almost like, like when I got sober in a weird kind of way, it was this passing of this gauntlet, you know, like because I called my dad and said, you know, I'm done. I'm going to take a break for a little while. I think I'm going to quit drinking for a couple of weeks. And I think my old man had been waiting for me to make that call for a while because they knew it. <laughs> I mean, they know the other drunk, you know. Sure. 
but in seeing him kind of pay homage to his father it was it was very bittersweet it was very sad mm-hmm. but the idea that his father still had those five months you know because yep. when yeah. we think about it on a timeline it, it's it's hard to say oh well i'll never get 30 years but if i can say oh well i can get 24 hours that's all i need you know you just keep stacking those up and then all of a sudden you're like my dad and you got 30 some years you know like yeah that's yeah. great yeah subsequent on behalf of his father which was also very sad um but ever since my daughter was born i honestly just cry uh, all the time oh no <laughs> same here same here. yeah i don't it's crazy uh i put on there's a movie called book club that has like all of these old actresses and actors in it mm-hmm. i put it on one night thinking oh it'll be funny i'll make my wife watch this movie book club mm-hmm. and then i just like 20 minutes into it threw my hands up and i was like i guess i'm the guy that cries through book club now that's who you're married to um so it backfired we see another old person die uh danny corresponds more on the wall abra witnesses the not eat a baseball kid yeah um so again this movie (laughs) really taking it on the kids there uh she writes murder on the wall which danny sees as red rum i like cheered at this point yes just like yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. give me all the breadcrumbs Um, exactly she tells Danny where to find the body. Abra discovers she can leap into Rose's mind, which is a pretty awesome sequence in the grocery store. Well, hi there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Abra goes to find Danny. Danny later has a flashback of being a child and knowing that his mom was thinking about her dead alcoholic husband and not wanting to. All of this stuff, like, it's just so, like, a bare nerve. Mm-hmm. I don't even have, like, a frame of reference in my life. It's just, I think, that's just portrayed so well. Mm-hmm. Or the, just the ideas just run so deep. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this whole movie and The Shining as well. And um, I, I I keep thinking it's it's all just a metaphor for his alcoholism. It's yes, all just a metaphor. Yeah. And, you know, like, here's the deal. Okay, I was born with whatever this thing is inside of me, shine or no shine, alcoholism or whatever you want to call it. I definitely I believe that it's something genetic or something predisposed. Right now, there's all the things that exacerbated it, all the um, growing up with my abusive father, all the, you know, abuse, neglect, um, all the childhood traumas. Right. The only way I've been able to make any sense of anything is to go back to where all those childhood traumas (laughs) happened in my head in my head fucking open up the little boxes dig them out and and face them head on and all that kind of stuff and deal with it and that's i mean that's i don't i don't want to ruin the rest of the 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 movie synopsis but like that's what this story is about it's about a man dealing with the childhood traumas that led him to his alcoholic behavior no ghosts ghosts or ghouls or goblins or whatever aside i mean that's just the ones of our own making So, I mean, or our, you know, our fathers sometimes don't, don't help us either. They they (laughs) exacerbate it, but you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, yeah, it's super powerful. There's a lot of symbolism in it, even in him. Uh, John and I were talking about it, him locking all the ghosts in boxes and that whole sense of compartmentalization. You yeah, know, yeah. you take these awful things and you lock them in boxes. And at one point he tries to take the memory of him leaving that woman and that baby there and lock it in a box. And then um, Dick shows, I call him Ghost Dick, but Ghost yeah. Dick shows up and he's like, no, this this is a ghost you have to keep. Like you need to keep this shit and it needs to stay in your mind. There's, it's that, that. There's just so many metaphors and so much symbolism with yeah. Stephen King and his drinking, you know, and 
coming to terms in the shining it's it's he wrote it while he was still drinking and you can see almost yeah. see a man trying to come to terms with his alcoholism and realizing like shit this is it you know like i need yeah. to fix this or not and then in this book you see a man who's got a bunch of recovery behind him and he's just kind of coming to terms with that process of it because it's almost like you repeat the process constantly you know of recovery yeah i couldn't believe it it they, they uh danny and dick talk and he says the last time he saw him saw the ghosts was eight years ago and he just got his eight year chip right and mm-hmm. i just thought like i was just like it's this is so like every detail of it just seems so perfectly layered in there that you right. get the right like symbolism and metaphors and mm-hmm. uh the hat astral projects which is a really cool sequence yeah. uh abra abra sets a trap which is pretty great He said you'd come back. And you did. Good. Get back! Get back! You're just a fucking child! There's more back and forth that we gotta clip along because it's a three hour movie. Yes. Uh, Grandpa Flick dies uh, in the knot. Danny and Billy go to dig up the dead body because it's oh. getting a little too cheerful. Uh, <laughs> they find the dead kid and they meet Abra's super chill dad who's really excited to have these two strange men in his house. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Your uncle dad? The fuck you think you are? Sir. Hmm? Hmm? She's 13 years old. Abra, I told you to show him. I told him. Well, that's not the same. Kick your ass before I call the police, hey, huh? Hey, hey, huh? No, 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 Abra. Now, don't you say her name. Abra. Uh... They set a trap. There's a gunfight. Uh, Andy gets killed, but before she dies, she gets in Billy's head and shoots himself, which again made me super sad because he's yeah. the one that helped Dan the whole time. Uh, Crow Daddy drugs Abra. Danny's tempted to drink. Uh, do either of you have temptations anymore, or is it just so long gone now that you're just like, nah? There's an interesting thing Jerry? that you had when you were – sorry, when you were – kind of going over the the plot there where the scene where the father pours himself a drink and then he looks back at both of them and he goes you guys want one and they say no thanks and john and i both were laughing about that you know we were recording our podcast because i said they should like take that no thanks and put it on a needle point and stick it in every church basement in america because that seems to be almost even more so like an aa motto or a recovering alcoholics motto than anything is no thanks i'm good you know because Mm -hmm. there have been so many occasions where i've been to parties and stuff and that that's our social lubricant they're like you want a beer i'm like no thanks i'm good and that's it i just leave it open-ended and if they want to continue then i can tell them some stories i guess but in regards to being um temptation it's it's weird it's not as urgent as it was in the beginning i think Mm. my first like 18 months two years it was it would it would the urgency would kind of calm down after a while you know but at first it was like really it was it was, uh, I'm trying to think of a different word than urgent, but it was like really in the front of my head and it was a voice that kind of moved back now. And so now it's like this forbidden option, but it's still an option a little bit, but it's just way, yeah. way in the back of the my mental bus or my mental palace or whatever. It's way in the back there, but the option is there. It's not a good option. It's a really bad option. You know, it's one that I associate with 
a lot of pain and unhappiness, but it's still kind of there yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I live in a house um, with other people and there there's there's tons of booze in here. I mean, yeah. I mm-hmm. I could probably I could probably stay drunk for a few days <laughs> on the booze that's here. But that's a lot. Uh, I say that because like last night I was I was sitting at the kitchen table and I was writing and I've been trying to like keep up on a blog to go along with the podcast. And um, in part of it, I was sitting there and I was like, within arm's reach, there's a bottle of gin, there's a bottle of tequila, there's some old ass scotch. Like there would be no, there would be no, and there's nobody here. I'm quarantined, right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have to tell anybody. I can nope. hide it. Well, I mean, who knows? I couldn't hide it very well. And not no, they <laughs> calling me but, rhyming, dude. <laughs> so, so, but, but, so, like, it's there and it's prevalent. But I don't, I don't see it as a, um, as a way out anymore. And so, like Jerry said, like, it's in the back of my mind. In and also, all the bad memories are attached to it too. Yeah. It's not like, oh, that's just going to make me feel good. And what I do realize is if I feel bad and I want something to make me feel good, it's like I'm looking for the relief. So I, I kind of try to think about like, oh, what do I really need? Because, you know, and I think Jerry says this where he's having a discussion. You're having a discussion with your wife and she was like, so, you know, what do you need? Mm-hmm. And you're like, I need a fucking drink. Yeah. Like, yeah. And like, that's an alcoholic's way of saying I need relief from this moment, from this, yeah. from this pain, from yeah, whatever absolutely. it is. Yeah. So that's I I'm, I better understand what I need and how to how to alleviate the pain and frustration of just being human, let alone right. being an alcoholic. That it doesn't have to be with booze. So it's, it's like uh, somebody taking ibuprofen because they always get headaches when they just needed glasses or something. You just, know, exactly. Just... <laughs> yeah, that's a great analogy. Yeah, it's just like that. Exactly. I'm like, what yeah. do you mean? All this time I needed to do was love myself. Yeah. What the yeah. fuck? <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, I always think about the anxiety situation for, for anyone that's like, because we build these habits, right? Like mm-hmm. we get like, I would see people with cigarettes, we'll just use that as an example where they'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm, my routine is I smoke in the car on the way to work or whatever. But then there's like, they get anxious and they're like, oh, I got to have a cigarette. Um, and then when it comes time that they want to move away from that addiction, it's like, how do you, how do you beat that anxiety if you've told yourself always that this is how I beat it? Um. I'm well by not smoking and I, I know that's, that's oversimplifying it, but yeah, <laughs> but you know, I, at the way that I describe it is like, it's that the cigarette is not easing your anxiety. It's only easing the addiction to the nicotine. That's mm-hmm. the only thing. So it right. rises your, it raises your blood pressure, uh, all the stuff like, and I know we think that because we go, Oh, the addiction inside of me is quelled for a second. I feel better, but like, yeah. you don't really. So it's just getting over that and trying, you know, it's tough at first. It's not, smoking is fucking hard. Yeah, it's, it is, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, so, drinking as well, like people that have to have a drink before they get on a plane. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so, then it's like, I, they still have to fly. So, so, that, so what, do you get into like mantras and things? Sure. Like, whatever gonna, it is, you, whatever you helps. Need, yeah. You need to calm yeah. yourself. Then, yeah, you breathe, breathe mm-hmm. deep and sit quietly. You can call it meditation or whatever you want, but like, it's just breathing deep and sitting quietly and mm-hmm. you know dealing with fear and anxiety and i mean it's life is filled with anxiety especially right now so it's like i i, I don't i don't have an answer because everybody is different and everybody right, has sure. different things mm-hmm. but like Absolutely. for me i just kind of go like okay do i have what i need right now okay i do right so there's 
then everything's fine. Okay, so if everything's fine, then what are you worried about? Well, I'm worried about the future. Well, the future's not even certain, and it's not here. It's right now. So stop worrying. Or, you know, I give myself five minutes to worry about the fact that I lost, you know, lost my job. You know, like, okay, well, well, what are you going to do about it today? There's literally, there's like three things you can do, and, you know, worry is not one of them. So... Mm I don't know, man. Listen to Alan Carr if you want to quit smoking. <laughs> yeah, Seriously. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's he helped me. He helped me. Yeah. That's I, good. I was an avid cigarette smoker, but... Yeah, you smoked a lot. <laughs> yeah. We both I remember smoked that. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I so. just remember the you know the excess i i mm. even back in the party days i was like oh you're on a different level than me man i don't even know how wow. <laughs> you're alive right now that's crazy that's a trip to see i don't i don't think about it from that because it was all normal to me and you saw it as like Stu's oh man on fire it was cr- it was crazy wow uh but i mean that's you know part of the thing about how our brains work and i'm just glad that we're all alive through all of it mm-hmm. um right because like I, I texted Jerry. I don't know if uh, John told you, but I, I took a picture. I was in like a bodega mm-hmm. of some. Uh, it was like watermelon sangria, Carlo Rossi, or something gross. Nice, right? yeah. And so yeah. I took a picture of it, and I was like, "Would old John have have drank this?" Um, and you both talk about this, you know, back in the day or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I, it's not like I was trying to re-traumatize somebody. No, no, they, no. And uh, and he responded. With, I thought he would just say yes. Or no, and what instead what I got was yeah, put it in the freezer and mix it with vodka, and I was like Jesus yeah. Christ, man. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I thought the same thing. I'm like, you, you got to mix it with something harder. That's not gonna work. Yeah, yeah. it'd be too sweet and gross. You know, and we would have like, made yeah. up a funny name for it. We would have I don't know what we call it, so, a Jolly Rancher or something. Or, so oh, here's, yeah. here's one of my favorites. Um, so Jerry, for this was I don't know where this stuff came from. I think it was like from an from an old girlfriend or moving there was some house yeah. moving going on and in his freezer he had a bottle of so this is what was in the fridge this is all we had right dude it was, it was the, a tub it was a tub it was a but tub of yeah. margarita mix um oh, it was man. a bottle of 151 rum and there was some ruby red squirt oh. and so we poured that all together we like mixed it all together and we yeah. had bendy straws, and I think we had like ice cream float like glasses or yes. something you had uh-huh. in the house. Yeah, and we mm-hmm. just we were we called them fancy lads because they we had uh-huh. bendy straws, and so we were like sipping these fancy lads. And I think we were I was helping you put together like a shelf or something, like a yes. CD oh, shelf man. or something. It's exactly what you were doing, yeah. So um, for sure, like yeah, how can we how can we level up this shit? How can we do it even like you know? So like watermelon mm-hmm. sangria is like eh, that's all eh. right. Put a little vodka in it. Put a little vodka in it. Mm-hmm. We'll have ourselves a little top hat and tails or something. You know, this is a name for wow. it. I remember we were drinking that Coda came home and was like, what are y'all doing? And you're like, drinking fancy lads? And he's like, why didn't you get me one? You know, like it was just this normal progression. You know? uh-huh. Yeah. Didn't matter. Well, he's a he's a guest on the podcast uh, a he couple was. times. Is that yeah. right? Once, mm-hmm. but yeah, we'd love to have him on again. Just yeah. once, yeah. Um, well, like I said, I'm just glad that we all are alive. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. What's so funny, friend? Well, it's just arrogance. It's arrogance, really. But it makes sense if you think you're going to live forever. Stands to reason. Of course you wouldn't wear your seatbelt. Abra dispatches Crow Daddy. Uh, Rose says, "All right, bitch child," which I think is going to be like my, um, my, <laughs> my, my, my that'll be like my new mantra for like 
transcendental meditation. All right, bitch child. All right. Uh, we cross water and follow the car, just like in Kubrick's The Shining, mm-hmm. which is another part where I was just like, yes, yes. And then we see the overlook. Um, we get many of the connective tissues of the Kubrick film. Yes. The door, the red rum. We uh-huh. see the bar, the empty glass. A voice says, Slow night, Mr. Torrance. Not for long, I imagine. I get goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, he says, you're a whiskey man. Um, it's Elliot from E.T. It's pretty brilliant. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Pours him a glass, and he says, this was your brand, Jack Daniels. I used to see the bottles in your home. Uh-huh. He's talking to his dad. It's just like, oh, my gosh. And the bartender says he's Lloyd, Henry Thomas, but Danny sees him as his dad and begins filling his father in on where his life has been and how he's dealt with his father, the scars that are left in his wake. It's brutal. Yeah. 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 It's, a- it's, um, it's I, I love that scene, and I'll just say overall, like, they ticked every box in the, and not even in a pandering way, uh, as far as an homage yeah. to The Shining in such a beautiful way and yeah. such a great, it's just awesome to watch. And because after I went and saw The Dark Tower in the movie theater and was disappointed by what a piece of shit I knew it was in the first Dude. 10 minutes and still watched the whole thing, like I was so. I was so disgusted and distraught. And like, oh, I was like, man. I'm never going to a fucking movie ever again. You know, like it was really, yeah. really bad. So to see this was amazing. But that mm-hmm. scene in particular about holding a whiskey glass and like and thinking about it, because oh, it wouldn't be hard for me to go and have a drink right now. Like it would be pretty fucking easy. And one of the things and you can't see it in the screen, but I have this piece of paper that somebody wrote on like. While I was still drinking, this is like in 2014, a guy I was living with, roommate, and he wrote, he was going through some stuff and trying to quit, and he just wrote on a piece of paper, there's no problem so bad that a drink, that alcohol can't make worse. And Mm -hmm. I put that up on my wall since I moved into this place almost five years ago, and it's like, that always reminds me, like, whatever's going on, like, it's just put it down, and, you know. It's a beautiful scene, and I love it, and he fucking smashes the thing. And, and the uh, director's yeah. cut, which is like him in the bathroom and all that stuff, which wasn't in the... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah the it's, they're movies. mirroring the whole Grady, the whole Lloyd Lloyd and Grady scene from the yeah. first movie. And uh, I, I, there was a line where he says, you know, that, that Jack Daniels was your brand, and I... He he said I smelled the bottle and it smelled like something was on fire and I guess I was yeah. wrong you know I guess I was right yes. something was on fire you know and it was just it was great man it was great mm-hmm. and oh, just so good little ET's buddy man was killing yeah. Elliot Tom no yeah. Elliot what's his name though is it the actor's Henry name? Henry Henry Thomas. Thomas just it was perfect it was so yeah. perfect even the bathroom scene that everything yeah. was blocked exactly the same and yeah. Yeah, Man. and he talks about how his mother couldn't look him in the eyes because she saw his dad in mm-hmm. his eyes. And yeah. that's just like, I mean, ugh, it's just all so brutal. And then, Dirk, and then, did you notice in the, Jerry, will you tell him about the eyes? We, the thing right, you... so there's the scene where he is watching the, in the very beginning of the movie, he has that flashback, and he's they're watching uh, Bugs Bunny, and the mom looks mm. at him, and he looks at her, and they look each other in the eyes, and then she looks away, like recoils, and he gets up and goes in the bathroom and looks in the mirror and blinks his eyes and changes his eye color. Yeah. From, from brown awesome. to blue, yeah. And yeah, I, 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 I didn't catch it until the third time I watched it. I caught it the third time I watched it as well. Oh, yeah, Actually. there it is. Yeah. It, it's just, I love movies where that's like, mm-hmm. there's layers of things where the yeah. second or third time you're like, holy smokes, right. they thought about this before. Mm-hmm. So Danny says one one line, and it's, it was kind of the impetus of 
I mean, the whole time I was watching this, I was like, maybe I could get John and Jerry. Uh, <laughs> but this line, he says, this drink will cost a lot. Eight years behind me, and who knows how many in front of me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's so simple, but it's so beautiful because he's, he's recognized the amount of time that he's been sober. And he's not saying that he'll be sober forever. He says he doesn't know how many years in front mm-hmm. of him. And it's just such a, a wonderful human thing to be happening in a building full of ghosts like right right it's true yeah you're very right that's that's the fucking power of sobriety right there Derek. that's that's like i mean what i think of like is that being able to well it's it doesn't really matter what's going on ahead of me i have no idea um it's what what's in this moment right mindfulness you know mm mm-hmm yeah when I th- one of the things I like about your podcast is I don't like it when people talk in absolution. I don't like when people say, like, this is the way or not the way. And you both have a very natural way of saying, like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. This is, like, my story. Mm-hmm. But, like, I'm not saying everyone has to do this. I, I, right. I don't... I don't think it would be a good idea for everyone to do things the way that I've done them. I've done some, <laughs> I'd have know. to agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, I mean, you don't have to do all the terrible things that I've done to get a little relief in life. Yeah, I think that's good. And then Lloyd says, to accept the things you cannot change. Mm-hmm. Is that a line from the big book, as people say? It's the serenity prayer. Okay, it's back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Serenity back. Prayer is mm-hmm. back. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I knew there was something, and I couldn't mm-hmm. quite uh, place it. Uh, there's a lot of back and forth in this scene, and one part is Lloyd not knowing what to do with Dan not drinking. Mm-hmm. And there's a reality. That's quite a reality once you get sober. Um, like when a person becomes vegan, and everyone's like, hey, this is Kim. She's vegan, <laughs> so don't eat elk in front of her. Um, right. <laughs> do you... Do you encounter that in your life? Because you're not defined by your sobriety, but people might define you because you're not drinking. You know, they're like, hey, this is Jerry. He doesn't drink. So Right. That, not as <laughs> much you're... now as it, okay. as, as it did in the beginning because I'm not really around a lot of hard drinkers anymore. I'm not really around a lot yeah. of drinkers anymore. Um, but I think in the beginning, I kind of kept some of my old relationships and my friends who drank so they would be like – yeah, Jerry's not drinking tonight, you know, or, you know, and then I remember actually about four months into it, I went out with a friend and we all went out together to a bar and I was just hanging out because I had been in bars in early recovery. I mean, I was like a month sober hanging out in a bar because I didn't know what to do with myself. So I would just drink Red oh, Bulls. Yeah. I would drink like five fucking Red Bulls. It was crazy. <laughs> I'd walk out of the bar vibrating. But I remember going with a friend and she had another friend who had met up with us and her other friend was really drunk. And kept trying to get me to drink this vodka, like kept pushing it across the table at me. And I had maybe just a few months. I was just like, what's it matter, you know? Well, at this point, what's a few months? But I just remember my friend I was with, she was getting really upset at this other person going like, you know, fucking leave him alone. He doesn't want to drink, you know? And she's like, I'll get you drunk by the end of the night. And that's the only experience I've had with anything like that in the Uh, past. Yeah, yeah. What, six years or what? Almost six years, yeah. Yeah, I would say the same here. And early on, I would have there would be some people who were like, "Is it okay if I order a beer?" I remember somebody saying that oh, to me, yeah, and yeah. I was like, "Even even early on." So, and I think mm-hmm. my experience is a little uh, somewhat different because as being a bartender for like twelve or now fifteen years, I was around yeah. it all the time. Mm-hmm. So even even on nights when I decided I wasn't going to drink, I was surrounded by alcohol all the time like eight nine ten hours a day so when somebody's like yeah drink a beer like i wasn't over there with like beads of sweat like oh i just need can i get it smell it (laughs) you know so and i think that most people were pretty um 
supportive of it because I had, if you ask anybody who knew me during drinking, they probably have at least one story where I hurt their feelings or made them uncomfortable or behaved in a shitty way toward them. Um, And, you know, I've done my best to make amends to those people as best I can. Uh, but I don't think that it's really an issue for me anymore. I mean, like I said, I live in a house and when we, when I go out and when anybody ever asks me if I want to drink, I, I usually just say, you know, no thanks, not tonight is what I'll say. Like if we're, if we're out at a restaurant, right. And if we ever get to do that again, I'll be like, you know, Oh, would you like to see the wine list? No, we're not drinking tonight or I'm not drinking tonight. No, but I would just, my girlfriend's sober too. And I'd be like, well, what about you? And she's like, no, thank you. And so, you know, it's like, just that's, it's pretty simple nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Well, and you don't have to make any amends to me, John. Uh, the times that we hung out, I thought you were just the sweetest person that could be. You, you drank really heavily, but you were a very, very kind soul, I would well, say. I so. appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Rhymed a lot, but other than that, uh, <laughs> right? totally fine. This... Uh, next, we get the bloody elevator. We get the maze. We yes. get the stair axe standoff. Hi there. When this starts, run. Yes, you run, dear. And then I will find you, and you will scream for years until you die. Uh, Rose meets the Overlook people. This is like an hour. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a chase. Boom goes the dynamite, and the building's on fire. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it is quite a way to wrap it up. And from what I understand, um, the Mike Flanagan, in talking to... Uh, Stephen King, what he really wanted to do was give Stephen King the ending of The Shining that he never got. Mm -hmm. So he took the end off of Dr. Sleep and put the end of The Shining book as the end of Dr. Sleep. And I saw an interview with the two of them, and Stephen King looked like a little boy in a candy store. His (laughs) eyes were all glistening, and he was all so excited. And I just thought, what a treat for someone to take something that was such a negative thing in his life, the, his, his feelings about the Kubrick film, and, uh, and kind of heal it all. Like, yeah. this movie just has this feeling of, like, of healing, of getting better. Uh, even the ending of it felt, like, good. Like, I was like, when's the last time I watched a movie, maybe this is more about me, where I felt good afterwards? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't know. It's a really beautiful uh, final act, I thought. I, I think you, you... Again, I think you're just defining... Uh, recovery in a lot of ways yeah you know what i mean that's what i was wondering where i was like these guys will know i i think that you know so we're talking on a few different levels right it's not just the story um uh uh, i don't know what the uh the the phrase is is it not didactic um but there's what's in the movie versus we're talking about stephen king's reaction to how he hated the kubrick film because it ruined all that stuff and so like i think on a certain level that's like being able to go back in time mm-hmm. and 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 get some sort of healing process about things that bothered you in the past so you're letting go of resentments which is a big part of recovery mm-hmm. from alcoholism for me and i think jerry would say so too is like because you know who knows how, how long has stephen king been living with resentments toward kubrick maybe not long maybe a long time but this is definitely a way of saying i'm i'm i feel better now because mm-hmm. yeah and the movie did great i mean there's not I don't think there's really too many flaws in this movie. I think for what it is, it's pretty it's pretty impressive. I, yeah, I mean, just the just the feat of taking those 
properties that were very di different and w melding them together in a way that makes the author happy. I mean, that just yeah. floors me. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's, it's one of the better. And you know, when you said, Hey, let's watch the director's cut. And I saw it too. And we we're both like, fuck three hours. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but it was, it was, it was great, man. And like the whole thing about like letting the ghosts out of your, out of your brain to, yeah. to fight the addiction. I don't know. I mean, there's some weird blending of metaphors and maybe, and everything's mm -hmm. not perfect, but like, and having to face them yourself. And, you know, having to, um, you know, building a foundation on which to to fight them when they come up or at least yeah. to protect yourself. I'm not yeah. saying that you should fucking fire up the boiler just in case things <laughs> go down and just blow the whole thing up. But yeah, <clears throat> you know what I mean? I get the metaphor, though. <laughs> something in there. There's something in there. I, I can't articulate yeah. it. But um, yeah, I thought I thought it was great. Like. And good for Stephen King. And good for... Yeah. And who, who's the director again? What was his name? Mike Flanagan. Flanagan, Flanagan. yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Dude, his, his Gerald's game was awesome, too. He's the dude... Holy smokes, I mean, yeah. I'm kind of going off the path here, but he's the dude I would yeah. want to direct the Dark Tower movies. Because he is just yeah. so spot on by being able to adapt the Stephen King story and make it work correctly instead of just making a weird mess out of it, you know? Yeah. yeah, he's phenomenal. This movie was great. It was great. He, yeah, and uh, the idea of self-sacrifice at the end too. Just not even from an alcoholic standpoint, just from a story standpoint. Because whereas yeah, in the story. book, he does, you know, he he watches Abra grow up and become an adult, you know, and, and yeah, I just I love taking the end off of the, you know, giving Stephen King the ending he wanted, you know, that yeah. he's like, this is how it should end. Uh, I just one last thing that there's a there's a, there's a theme in this movie. That mm. correlates with with alcoholism, with uh, recovery, with AA, but just recovery and helping each other out, and that's um, sponsorship or mentorship. You know, finding yeah. somebody who already who's older, who has more experience, You're not necessarily right. older, yeah. but like so. Dick Holleran was sort of a sponsor to Danny, and he mm -hmm. says the only way you get to be okay with this is by giving it to somebody else by paying oh, it forward, right? right? So you have to help yeah. somebody else. Yeah. And so fucking. So what happens? Like. And what is it? I, I had it written down somewhere here in all my notes, but it's like, why do I have to help her? Because she found you. So, right, yeah. you know, one of the tenants or one of the things is like, if somebody comes looking to you for help, you have to help them. Like there's no, there's no getting to say no to helping people. Um, that's how, that's how we keep this thing going. That's how we stay sober, mm -hmm. you know? So every time somebody messages me on Instagram or something like that, I do my best to be as quick and upfront and try to, you know, be helpful with them as best I can uh, without, I mean, obviously I don't know these people and I can't give them like direct advice about their life. But, um, but that's that the theme is in that, in the movie is all about sponsorship yeah. and how he has to pay it forward. And, you know, so I just, I thought that was really cool too. No, that's great. Yeah. And uh, Jerry, you don't have to make amends to me either. I don't, uh, <laughs> I honestly, I feel like we ran in similar circles, but I don't have that many memories of us getting I to have, hang out. We hung out a handful of times. I remember you were dating, like dating someone in our group. I think yep, I remember hanging true. out at your house and you might've lived out of a Hilliard in an apartment. Off of, oh, like, wow. Hilliard, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I, uh, I don't remember that Plus, that well, so good job. I think you might have been friends with another person who was a DJ who used to date like a girl I knew from Thurston. Like it's just that sounds all like these weird <laughs> yeah. Eugene. I, like. I was 
felt like it was I was like on, on with many people just on the peripheral of the right. circle. So I got mm-hmm. I was lucky to get to meet like you and and other people like in the tattoo community and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I didn't get to know him that well. It was just like I know this guy in the punk rock circle and this guy in the right. rave circle. Exactly. And so yeah. I got to be like a day walker in a lot of different cultures. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I was very lucky. But I do remember that you were very intimidating to me for some reason. I don't really? know if you were. I don't. It's so funny. Yeah. I've had. You're not the first person to tell me that, and it always surprises me because I never felt like I was being into. I felt like really self conscious all the time. So, mm. I, so people were like, "Yeah, you intimidated me." I'm like, "Really? That's so weird." Because I never. I was always so hyper aware of myself that I was. Yeah, like, it wasn't. You never even did anything aggressive. I never yeah. saw you like box somebody or something. I think you just have like a. A, a, like a, I don't know, a thoughtful look that just seems like, oh, there's something bubbling mm-hmm. underneath there. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate that. And not even sarcastically, yeah. I do. Thank you. I'm going to use that as a tool. It's fucking okay, tattoos and bravado is what it was. Tattoos but, and bravado. There it is. <laughs> and a belly full uh, of whiskey. This brings oh, us absolutely. to the final section here um, of the podcast since we've concluded final thoughts on the movie. And uh, for each of you, feel free to chime in at any point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but are there any common misconceptions that you've encountered in your sober lives? Common misconceptions. That's a um, great question. Yeah. That um, can be personal, or it could be from the outside. I world, think. So. I think sometimes people. Uh, I've had people be a little perturbed by my. Uh, membership in this particular club you know Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. in the secret society quote unquote that that's somehow cultish or um but i don't think it's any more uh i don't think it's cultish in any way that's that's harmful i think it's done nothing but like give me my life back so Mm -hmm. i mean and that's just me it doesn't work for everybody and i don't i don't i'm not promoting it as a as anything to anybody i really am not but i i i can't imagine I can't imagine a scenario where if this had not come into my life at the time that it did, that I would be here in this capacity right now. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a fact. So, I mean, I think that that's a big misconception. Or that, you know, another thing is that I can't be sober and be somebody who serves booze. Right. Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been doing it on and off now, you know, for like five years, and... I just, you know, it's kind of like a bank teller. You know, bank tellers don't go home with pockets full of cash. It's just what you fucking deal with during the day, you know? Right. You just pour yeah. the booze and you clean up and you go home. So I think that's Do something. Do you think you would have succeeded in the same way uh, for when you started eating healthier if you'd worked in an ice cream parlor? <laughs> um, I think that would have been a lot harder. And the difference okay. is... <laughs> I think so too, dude. I think I would have been... Oh, man. I'd, it's... Dude, like seriously, and this is the thing that I think Jerry's dad had a great quote about was, yeah. you know, when you think about food, right? So imagine if so you tell an alcoholic you can never drink again if you want to recover. And that's a that's a been a fact for me. Um, but telling somebody it's like what eating you have to eat, we all have to eat to live. So that would yeah. be like telling an alcoholic you can only have three shots of tequila, but you have to have three shots of tequila every single day. That would to be torture alive. to stay yeah, alive. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that that too is is that's something that's that's been really difficult, but fucking rewarding, man. Like Dude, again, yeah. it's 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 a fucking alcoholism is a horror story for sure. And yeah. um, there's definitely, I mean, I think I, as far as misconceptions that it's. 
that to think that I would ever be able to do this shit. I mean, I never thought it. And anybody who knew me back then would have been like, John, no, absolutely not. So I don't know, but what about you, Jerry? What misconceptions? Misconceptions. You kind of touched on one of them though. And it it was this idea that I am, the one that I guess bothers me or I get resentful about sometimes is that I myself am anti-alcohol in general. Mm-hmm. And and uh, to kind of treat me carefully because I'm this special case who's anti-alcohol and I'm always like, I'm just anti-me and alcohol. Like, I can't drink because I do really stupid shit and ruin my life. Like, you can do whatever you want within limits as long as you're not really, you know, inv- invading my personal space. That's That was one of them. And just the, I think also the idea of that me as a recovering alcoholic that I'm always just inches away from a drink, you know, that I'm just yeah, like yeah, white yeah. knuckling my life and I have no coping mechanism at all whatsoever, you know, whereas I, I always feel like if I were to have a relapse, like it wouldn't be this sudden thing. Like people would be seeing that for weeks down the road. You know what I mean? Because my behaviors yeah. would change, my coping mechanisms would change. You would just see it, you know. So I think in popular media, we're portrayed as inches away from a drink constantly. Yeah. Because that is a great trope to use. It makes things very – gives you a lot of suspense and stuff. And I just I've, – I've always been like, nah, man. For me personally, it's not like that. I don't know about other folks, but for me, I'm not like that. I don't want to drink. I really don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Uh, what is a good day like for you in regards to, say, um, now that you're in – recovery as mm-hmm. an active recovery i don't know if am I, I i always get hung up on words but uh yeah what's a good day like now as compared to before what's a good day um waking up early reading writing i get to go for a run maybe it's nice mm-hmm. maybe it's long and i feel <laughs> it's all our words <laughs> they, it's just true man it's reading, totally writing true. and running, running. <laughs> um i get to come home and like make some good food get to spend time with my girlfriend um and really feel feel productive and feel Mm. feel healthy in my body because that's i think that's a big thing with with that's a common thread with people i've talked to alcoholics is like not feeling comfortable in their own skin Mm -hmm. that's huge and that's what Mm -hmm. i hear all the time i just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin and this is like at 43 like this is the first time i'm really starting to feel like comfortable in my own body and in my own yeah, mind so cool though so that i mean finding a way to do that is to to feel comfortable in my own head is is and on my own skin is a good day yeah yeah <clears throat> i think any morning every day is actually a pretty good day which is fucking weird for me to say because anybody who knows me <laughs> be like you're so full of shit but honestly yeah. like every day that i wake up and i can remember what i did the night before and that I don't have to make mm. apologies to anybody. I don't have to call to apologize to anybody. I I still have right. like enough money in the bank to pay my bills. You know, I don't, I don't have an injury. Like those are pretty damn good days. You know, I get to wake yeah. up, and hang around my kid, and she doesn't have to see me stumbling around and crying and doing whatever wild shit I did when I was drunk. Those are good days. You know, it, me and my wife. Any day my wife and I get along, which is we get along all the time. We're great. We're perfect, John. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, any day we all get along and everything is 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 great. It's it's just every day is pretty damn good, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. when I think about uh, like the crazy lawless party days, I always think about uh, just like not wanting to be present at all right. in moments. And then mm-hmm. like you know now, and you're older and you're surrounded by people that you care about, hopefully. And then you're like, why would I want to be absent from any of this? 
Yeah. I don't. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is a bad day like? Ah. What is a bad day like? Um, when, when all, I guess a bad day is, is when all of the tools that I have, that I have learned that are available Mm -hmm. to me don't seem to work. And I, this hasn't, this hasn't happened in a very long time. I mean, there's some bad moments. This is another thing is that I try to remember too. Like it's not a whole day. Like it's, it's, it usually comes in like the cravings or the sadness or the anxiety Mm -hmm. or the depression. One thing I've learned is that to write it out and like it will pass. So, I mean, when those things don't work and it still sucks, you know, it's like, fuck, this really fucking sucks. So I'm just going to try and find some way to avoid it or, you know, because I don't always want to work on myself, right? I don't always want to fucking be in recovery, <laughs> right? Like, right, yeah. it's mm-hmm. exhausting. Sometimes I just want a day off from everything, including myself. And so, but I mean, bad days are going to come. I'm I'm currently, you know, dealing with um, lots of uh, financial stress and future stress and all this stuff. But like, yeah. do the best I can, you know? And um, I think that those those bad days are shitty. Maybe I don't want to wake up as early. Maybe I don't want to do, I still do the things that I tell myself I'm going to do. I mean, thank God. One of the things that's really helped me is like, and I think Jerry would agree with this with like routines and stuff like that is that the, the discipline to do it is there so that when the motivation is gone, it doesn't matter. Right. Like I don't always want to write in my notebook in the morning, but I fucking, that's just what I do now. So, I think that's a bad day to me is just when things don't work, when none of the tools that I have work. What about okay. you, Wagner? I, it's, I mirror it so much. It's the same thing. It's, it's the, the days that, yeah, my coping mechanisms are gone. All the tools in my box aren't working. Usually I get very overwhelmed. That's a bad day when I'm overwhelmed most, you know, most of the day when I feel overwhelmed. And I'm horrible at multitasking and it seems my bad days is when everything needs to be done all at once, oh, you know. Yeah, and that's same. Yeah, that's when I start scrambling and that's when my mood kind of breaks down, but I mean, yeah, I mean other than the typical things, you know, waking up with a migraine or any of those other things, I think it's I really mirror what John says, just the days that the tools I have aren't working. You know, I got to figure out new ones. Yeah. Mhm. Uh, do you have any advice for someone who's maybe has has stumbled across your podcast, or they're thinking maybe it might be an option to check out um, getting sober? Uh, advice for anybody who think it might be an option to get sober? Um, yeah. It's always an option. It doesn't. I know people who are who are getting sober in their twenties. I know people who mm. who just got sober in their sixties. Mm. So. Um, I would say if if there's a problem and you want to address it, I mean, the, you, yeah. the willingness is probably the biggest thing. And so I would just say if, if somebody is willing to address that problem, if somebody is willing, um, there are resources of all kinds. Like, mm-hmm. just Google it. Be like, yeah. Google, I want to stop drinking. And... There is no shortage of programs out there. Uh, You know, you talk about misconceptions, and I think people think that, like, maybe AA is the only way they can ever stop drinking and that it's, you know, there's not. I mean, we've talked about other programs on the the podcast before, too. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I would just say talk to somebody who's our – 
look to somebody who has what you want. Right. And ask them how they got it. Right. Right. I'd have to you agree know? with you. You're nailing it, dude. You're nailing all of them. You're saying all the shit I want to say. So I'd just like lean in and be the worst interv- interviewee ever and be like, yeah, ditto. Uh, <laughs> samesies. Well, I mean, samesies. like, you, like, oh, well, let me ask you, Jerry, like, when you, you finally, like, who did you, who did you reach out to? My dad. Yeah. But, because right? my dad was working a program. And so once again, I found someone who had something I wanted or who might have understood what I was going through and, and, and sought their advice, you know? Um, yeah. And it, you know, I guess the other thing I could add to it too, is it doesn't have to be the worst bottom. You don't have to dig yourself in so deep right. that you're destitute and you know, whatever example you have, it, it, you, all you have to do is wake up one morning and be like, this isn't fucking working anymore. This is just not working. This is unmanageable. And mm-hmm. that's all you need. It doesn't have to get horrible. It can just get really fucking bad and you're ready to bail out. Nobody's going to judge you and be like, you didn't fucking, you know, sleep under a <laughs> you bridge. You didn't bottom right. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you didn't did, wake you up did. with a dead lady and a baby, Cheetos <laughs> or whatever, you know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's a great point. Uh, that brings us to the last question. And it's my favorite question. Uh, so... We'll start with you, Jerry, first. Hmm. Uh, Jerry, what are your dreams like? I don't know. I don't have them very often. And when I do, you know what? The ones I remember are always struggling. I, like, never remember the good ones where I'm, like, doing great shit. And I know I have them because my Fitbit keeps telling me I'm having them, you know? But it's always, (laughs) like, the struggle when I'm struggling with something or... That's those Stress are the ones dreams. I remember. Stress dreams I remember really well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't have great ones, but I also I'm, my night isn't filled with horrible dreams. I just don't remember. I don't remember the good ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, John. What are your dreams like? Dreams? I think last night I had a dream. <laughs> oh, no. So. No, no. 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 I'm not. <laughs> oh, oh no! What? This is a whole other so podcast. He does. So he no, 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 them no. All down. I don't write them all down, but like last night I had a dream about Jerry Seinfeld and he had a comb over. Um, I have no idea. So I think I think that dreams sometimes they're just gobbledygook. And I think it's yeah. like, because here's the thing is I was reading this book about Jerry Seinfeld or somebody was interviewing him. It was about comedy. It's a book about comedy. And so like that might just be some leftover. Uh, I have a lot of um, stress work dreams as well. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I started writing them down and. It's like, this was one from like last summer. It's like in, in Mexico, in a bathroom, in a bathrobe, a safe area for tourists maybe. I have a gun and someone, a woman, has the money. I owe the bad guys at the bar. And like, so like, there's just weird stuff. Work dream. Um, the last thing I remember, I was done with work and the some Clint Howard looking dude told me I had nice. to get back because someplace in... Queen Anne called the frontier room. Like what? I don't know what this means. You know, like was, was Walter selling turkeys out of newspaper boxes and bottles of water? I mean, it's just like bizarre, um, you know, beach boys, surf city, 1961, bad Afro, scary music, fear, you know, like, I love, I love that Clint Howard can't even get a good part in a good dream. I know. Right. Like there's just weird stuff getting on a school bus with Walter. It was crowded and everyone wore black. Um, it was Christmas. I was in the mall. Uh, you know, this woman behind <laughs> is that the, the whole counter. dream. No, this is all just different ones. Like, oh, okay. So oh, here, I, what is this? 
Look at this. Wow, I can't even remember any of them. Jerry and I, this is why I write them down first thing in the morning. Jerry and I were standing on either side of shelves, rows and rows of bus tubs with steaks in them, fine, fully cooked. Everything smelled delicious. I went to one end and this guy was telling a joke about his Hinton cousin in, in mobster wise guy fashion. I remember telling Jerry uh, it was so funny. We then had some kind of homework to do also. I was then eating at some buffet. I turned around and some guy was sitting at my table. I finished making my plate and strangers had joined. I decided to sit down anyway, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like it just, this stuff goes on and on. I was, I was, <laughs> I was back at work one more time. Apparently I have a lot of work dreams. So it's yeah, like, okay. I, I just love that it, I so. got up to leave the room real quick to use the bathroom and came back and you were still reading out of your fucking dream <laughs> journal. <laughs> Actually, I got quite a few in here. I, I know. Say, anyhow, oh my god, I um, can't remember. That's amazing. That's... I just because I would keep it by the bedside, and so when I'd wake up, the first thing I do, I can. Some of them I can't really read because it's just scribble. But mm-hmm. yeah. uh, lots of weird dreams. That wow. answers the question. I love it. Yeah, that is fascinating. <laughs> well, I can't thank you both enough. This has been awesome. Thank you for for watching Doctor Sleep for giving me this much of your time on a whatever day today is i don't even know Mm -hmm. days anymore yeah thanks for having us thanks Dirk.